Our scripture today comes from Ephesians 3, verses 17 through 21. You can follow me along. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. Word of God. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to be him, be glory in the church and in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Brian and, and Gary and your backup role. You did an excellent job. Um, and thank you, Karen. Karen got the scripture literally like five minutes before worship started, so she gets bonus points there. Will you pray with me? Precious Holy Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to come together, to be in worship together, to worship you, to lift up your name. I pray, Father God, that you might hide me behind the cross and that it is your words that are spoken today and that it falls on open hearts, on open minds, and open ears, that your message might go from this place and spread throughout the world. Amen. Okay. For the last few weeks, we've been going on a road trip with Jonathan, and it's had me thinking about 1989. Anybody else? Anyone else thinking about 1989? It was a great year. My sister graduated from high school. We were still riding on the high of the Dodgers winning the World Series in 1988. We lived on that for a really long time, people, a really, really long time. But in the summer of 1989, my mom and dad, Jennifer, along with my aunt, and aunt June, Uncle Don, and my cousins Ben and Leslie and I went on a road trip out west for a month. A month. How brave are my parents and my aunt and uncle to take three teenagers and one preteen on a trip without access to cable for 28 days, and we weren't Amish. I mean, that's amazing. Now, because we're Hilberts and my sister had not yet become a hurdle, we didn't do anything foolish like camp because gross, disgusting, and people shouldn't do it. God gave us indoor toilets for a reason, and we should live into that. But we did have this giant conversion van that was amazing. It had these big captain seats and a, a bench that laid down the back. I mean, you traveled in luxury in this terribly looking ugly brown van. Um, but I, as a 14-year-old, cannot say I was the best traveler. Now, I am going to be bold and say I wasn't the worst traveler ever, but I was maybe one or two steps above that, being that I was 14, almost in high school, and stuck in a very small space with my parents and my sister for a month. So you can congratulate my parents after worship for surviving um, and all of us returning home in that same van, but it was touch and go, wasn't it? It was touch and go for a while. We saw numerous national parks and more desert than I believe actually is in the Middle East. Now, don't quote me on that, but it felt like it because every time we saw a new one, Gina was like, oh, girls, oh, look at it. Isn't it beautiful? And as I was rem rem reminiscing with Jennifer yesterday, she goes, and she woke me up from my nap. And I'm like, I know, it was terrible. It was awful. 
Now, I will say there was beauty beyond anyone's imagination, and although I would never, I was 14, I would never have admitted it at the time, it has become one of the most precious, encapsulated moments of my childhood. The sacrifice of my parents and my aunt and uncle to give up that much time away from their work and adulting responsibilities is really unbelievable so that the four of us kids could see and experience the beauty, the majesty, and the enormity of this country. Now, out of everything we saw, Dodger Stadium wasn't my favorite, Dad, believe it or not. Out of everything we saw, the place that shook my 14-year-old self to a place of true, holy awe was the Grand Canyon. When we arrived, we walked out of the car, and we went to the edge of the expanse. And it is so wide, and it is so big, that you kind of have to turn your head into a panoramic camera, and, and you start here, and you kind of move along. And then you're like, yep, didn't see it all. And so you go back, and you do it again, and you do it again, and you're just overwhelmed. My heart raced. I was nervous standing on the edge. That canyon could swallow you whole and you'd never be seen again. And I was completely overwhelmed. I was completely in awe. And then my Uncle, jo Uncle Don stood up there and said, okay. And he pulled a Chevy Chase. Okay, let's go. Come on. <laughs> Where's Edna? She's in the car. Good. Come on, kids. Get your butts in the car. Go. Don't you want to look at the Grand Canyon? Each time I've flown over it for the last 30 years, I'm reminded of how small I felt in comparison to the enormity of the canyon. And when I do think and reflect on the Grand Canyon, I am often reminded of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus when he tried to contextualize the love God has for each of us. And we heard Karen read it earlier. I'm going to read it to you again. Chapter, verse, chapter 3, beginning at verse 18. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. How wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. How wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ for you, for you, and for you, and for me, for you. God really has a grand canyon-sized love. Paul was writing to the Ephesians to reaffirm their faith. You see, it wasn't like other letters, like the letter to the Corinthians, who had kind of strayed off the path. Um, he didn't write to them to challenge the incorrect theology in the community like to the church in Galatia, nor was he writing for stalwartness and strength in the face of adversity as he did to Timothy and Titus. No, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is truly a love letter of 
We feel his joy in chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 when he writes, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. Paul uses his precious parchment for this letter to the church in Ephesus, and by proxy, all of the house churches that grew out of that church that was nurtured by his dear friends, Priscilla and Aquila, and later pastored by Timothy. Now, folks, let's just put this into perspective. This was the rock star church of the time. This was the saddleback of saddlebacks. This was the church. They got it. This was a church that was on fire. It was growing and living a holy, encouraged state. They were a church that, for all historical purposes, worshiped together, but was extremely diverse. Aquila and Priscilla, the leaders, were converted Jews who had been exiled from Rome due to persecution, and they met up with Paul in Corinth and started that church and then moved on to Ephesus. But it was in Ephesus, in a congregation that was made up of a mix of Gentiles and Jews, in a city that was predominantly Gentile, that these anointed leaders established something great for God. Now these lay leaders, Priscilla and Aquila, were so in tune to what God was doing and who Jesus was that they were able to guide the great preacher, Apollos, on what and who Jesus was. He was only telling part of the story, but they knew the whole story. And for those of you who get this reference, they told him the Paul Harvey. Priscilla and Aquila were making a church that was grounded in faith, that knew who Jesus was, and they knew who they were in Jesus. Ephesus was a church on fire for Christ, and so Paul's letter to them was a faith love letter. He reminds them of where they were before they met, kind of like in a true love letter. You know who you were before I met you? Now you're awesome. Uh, this is what he was telling them. Remember, don't forget who you were before you met Jesus and how God's provenient grace had worked in their lives, his wooing love that was drawing each of those persons in Ephesus into a relationship with Jesus. How wide and how deep and how high and how long is the love of God for you? Throughout the letter to the Ephesians, Paul challenges them to continue to grow. Don't stand still. Grow and stand firm in their faith. In chapter 4, beginning at verse 14, he writes, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of the people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking in truth and love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Paul knows that a body of faith with such deep love and knowledge of God will be tested. That the world around them will not try to corrupt them, will try to corrupt them. The world will try and tell that church that their belief in Christ and his resurrection is false. The world will try and weasel in and corrupt individuals who will then corrupt the whole. And Paul is trying to warn these loves of his life about it. He wrote, they, the unbelievers, 
are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, this is important, however, is not the way of life you've learned. That's not who you are, he's telling them. Don't forget who you are or whose you are. He continues to write, when you heard about Christ, you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted, and to be made new in the attitudes of your mind, and to put on a new self, created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. The church at Ephesus was a body trying to do just that. They wanted the Grand Canyon love of God. How deep, how wide, how high, how long is the love of God for you? And I would humbly say that this church body, our little Groveport United Methodist Church family, is trying to grasp how deep and how wide and how long and how high the love of God is for each of us. We reflect it in our actions and in our mission. We strive for it when we come together. I was struck when I walked into church this week to work on hanging some clothes, which I do love. I love hanging the clothes. We, yes. So I was struck on how crowded our basement is. Has anybody walked down there? It is crowded. Do you want to know why? Because we are doing the work of God. We are trying to reach the community for God in every way possible. We are striving to know the Grand Canyon love of God, and we are striving to teach and spread that Grand Canyon love of God. We are truly trying to love without bounds. We are trying to reflect Grand Canyon love to this community and the communities around the world we have the privilege to touch. But sometimes, in an effort to shower Grand Canyon love on the world, we can sometimes make the mistake of treating God's love for us the way Chevy Chase treats the Grand Canyon in vacation. A quick nod, and then back to work. We run the risk of becoming the older Ephesian church, not the young Ephesian church, but the old Ephesian church. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus about 60 AD. Dad, don't quote me or look it up. He always wants to know exactly when something happened and where it happened. It's about. Tradition says. Okay, he'll get a, he'll get a chuckle out of that later. Um, the church was founded around the mid-50s, and by the time of Paul's death, around 67 AD, the church was alive and well, living into its mission and upholding the faith showing the love of Christ through active hospitality, charity, and acts of mission throughout the community. They were striving to know the Grand Canyon love of God and share it with the world around them. But at the time of John's writing of the book of Revelation, in 95 AD, only 30 years later, a not even a full lifetime in ancient times, the church has started treating God's Grand Canyon love like Chevy Chase in vacation. John wrote in Revelation 2, starting at verse 1, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, 
These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Sounds like they were doing the right thing. Now, I will tell you what Jesus is good at because if you read Revelation, there's a lot of red letters. There's a lot of Jesus talking. So what Jesus is really good at is the compliment sandwich, and that's what he's done here to the church at Ephesus. He's buttered them up. He's done all this stuff really great. And they're sitting around going, yep, we're good. We're awesome. But, there's always a but. There is always a but, and in this case, the letter continues with a yet. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that had you at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have found this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, if you're like me, you got hung up on, well, who are those Nicolaitans and how do we hate them? That's where my brain went immediately. But that's not important. We can talk about that particular soap opera another day. What we need to focus on here is the sword to the heart. Let's read it again. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken. Forsaken in the Greek translates into let go of, abandon, cancel, divorce. You have forsaken the agape love because that's the love that's here. That unconditional love of God you have divorced yourself, you have turned your back on, you have canceled, you've let go of the love of God. Y'all, they, Chevy Chase, God's Grand Canyon love. The church followed the rules, they kept sound doctrine, but they forgot their why. The what, the doctrine, service, worship, active charity, all of it, they had it down. But without the why, God's grace and his love, it is meaningless. Does anyone want to read James this afternoon? Faith without works. They forgot their why and were focused on the what. And this amazing, all-in, diverse church, the church that Paul held up as a model for all to see, was failing to keep the main thing, the main thing. They Chevy chased God's Grand Canyon love. How deep and how wide and how long and how high is the love God has for you? We can never fully know until that glorious day when we get to eat from the tree of life side by side with Jesus in paradise. We will never know till then just truly how big God's love is for us, but we can be like John Wesley and strive on to learn, to keep moving forward, and we can stand at the Grand Canyon in awe. We can be overwhelmed with the beauty of God's love for us. And we can respond out of that love in acts of grace, mercy, kindness, forgiveness, 
charity, service. We can stand in the heart of the Grand Canyon and know that God loves us so much. He loves us so much that he sacrificed himself just for the chance, the chance to be in relationship with you. That's how much God loves us. That's how much God loves us. How deep and how wide and how long and how high is the love of God for you. Grand Canyon love is more than we can ever imagine. And having that love, knowing what that love can do, we are called to reflect and spread that love in every single one of our actions. From our waking up to our going to sleep, from our waiting in the grocery line to our waiting at a traffic light, to our singing in worship, to our suffering over the chaos of this world and this church, we are called to live into and up to and out to that love each and every day. And if we are truly striving, church, if we are truly striving towards knowing the grand canyon love of God, we will not have time to argue. We will not have time to fight. We will not have time for dissent. We will test everything, hold on to the good, and keep on keeping on. The Grand Canyon is more than the eye can behold. That doesn't mean we don't try to see it all. Don't be Clark Griswold. Don't be Chevy Chase. Strive today and tomorrow and all your days to know how deep and how wide and how high, and how long, say it with me, how deep, how wide, how high, how long, the love is that God has for you. And let us together, his family, be the early church at Ephesus. Let's learn from their mistakes. Let's not Chevy Chase their mission. Let's show the world together just how great the love God has for each of his precious children. How deep how high and how wide and how long is the love of God for you? Let's not forget our why as we strive to do our what. Let's strive to see the Grand Canyon love God has for each of us. And let's let his overwhelming love be the why behind all of you.